Hey, listener, Sourdough here. Today's a cool episode because we got Jeff Tremaine. He's going to hang out and chat for a while. You know Jeff. You know his work. He is uh, famous for the Jackass series on MTV as well as the movies. And he's got a new movie coming out, The Dirt, on Netflix about Molly Crew based on the book by the same title. Be sure to check it out. It comes out March 22nd. Jeff's hilarious. He's a great guest. So uh, enjoy the show. Hello, this is Siri and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. So welcome to Not Real Art, series favorite creative culture podcast. Jeff, did you know that? Did you know that we are series favorite creative culture podcast? <laughs> I did not know that. You did not know that? I'm, I'm coming in now blind. you know. I'm walking into this completely blind. Oh, so. good. That's uh, the way we like it. See, we can fool you because you don't know any better. <laughs> do you listen to podcasts? I don't very often. I like them when I do. I just, it's not part of my rhythm in life. Like, right. I did a little more when I was – my wife is a podcaster and she's way right. into it. And she's yeah. always – she turns me on to the good ones. You know, if I do find one I like, I'll, I'll binge it. And But in general, it's just not – I'm sort of a Luddite. Like I don't – Oh, good for you, actually. <laughs> uh, good for you. So do you – are you addicted to the smartphone or no? I am addicted to my smartphone, yes, I, unfortunately. And I think it's blown my eyes out. Oh, really? But not – those beautiful blue eyes of yours. I don't. Oh, God damn. I just went blind like recently. Not blind. Oh, your, but your eyes finally changed. My, changed. my eyes started to turn as yeah. well. I'm 48. I, I, yeah. Mine went when I was probably 49. Okay. So overnight. It seemed like it was overnight. I, I don't need a prescription still. I just right. need r big magnifying readers for <laughs> right, close-up right, stuff. Right, right, right. But I think the phone accelerated that whole thing. Maybe not. But So when you're stuck on the 405, what are you listening to? Mostly music. Music is yeah. my thing. What are you, you listening know? to right now? Well, I've got Sirius XM, so I just I have like the old school hip hop station. I think mm -hmm. they just changed that the name of that. I think it's was it a Fly or um, Backspin? Backspin, right? Okay, because there's Rock the Bells. Now it's Rock the Bells. Okay, Backspin used to be Backspin. Now it's Rock the Bells. Got and it. Then, okay, uh, I've got Ozzy's Boneyard. Of course. <laughs> do you know? Do you know I've Big Dave? No. Ozzy's uh, assistant, Big Dave? Uh-uh. Okay. You need to know Big Dave. Anyway, go ahead. But, and then I've got, I don't know, Lithium. I Just yeah. shit that I, mattered to me when I was younger. Right. What is the one album or band that takes you right back to, say, 1981? 81. Or 83. You know, your youth, the, the teenagers. So that, those are my little, those are my hardcore punk rock days, right? right like right. So 81, 82. I'm trying to think. 82, I guess, is when I really got into punk rock. Yep. Going and I was in DC. I was a suburbs of DC kid, right, so I got right. to see Minor Threat when they were playing and right. Government Issue and all the great DC bands. Yeah, you know, Dead Kennedys, right, Super right, Jerks, right, right, Black right. Flag, all that. Right. Dayglo abortions. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, <laughs> I, I just always love that name. I did too. Yeah. I, I, they were a little yeah. later, I think. Yeah, um, right, right. But then, and then, like, like I was a metal kid before I got into punk rock. More like Judas Priest, mm -hmm. Iron Maiden, yeah, Saxon, yeah, yeah. Van Halen, right? ACDC, and then I. My friend got us into punk rock. So that started, like Ramones was my gateway. Yeah, yeah, gateway drug. <laughs> gateway <laughs> yeah, into I love it. But, you know, that that's what really kind of changed everything. Sort of discovering that, and that came with like, I was a BMX kid and yeah. just kind of, 
going off like what did you getting ride? rid what of bike? the mainstream yeah what was your bike what'd you ride i was a torker kid yeah. and then i i got the first haro freestyler when it came out torker made it for him so it had the same twin top tube i was never a, a racer i was just a yeah 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 dirt jumper and right. vert rider and right. whatever right getting into that it's sort of counterculture right like even i used to get made fun of in seventh grade for wearing vans like i would just I, and and like not even interesting what like just the old Doc well, were, shoes. were you gay for wearing vans? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Wow. And uh, and then Fast Times came out when right, I was a right. senior in high school, and suddenly you're a visionary. <laughs> not even a visionary. Just every kid that gave me shit was now wearing them, and I, I was just fuck you. Now I'm too yeah. cool for vans. Right. I'm, I'm on to the next. <laughs> right. Boring, you know. <laughs> so do you play music? Do you, do you play an instrument? You no, know, I was in a band for a minute, just singing in a band. But no, I I, I think of myself as a musician who just doesn't know how to play. <laughs> I like so. that. I like that. <laughs> I I, yeah. I wish I did. Yeah. I yeah. want to learn ukulele. I've been playing. I, I dick around with my ukulele, but I, I don't have the patience to actually learn. Right, 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 right. Harmonica at all? You seem like you seem like <laughs> the kind of guy that might have a harmonica in his pocket and like rip it no, out. No, I, I know. Okay. But you do. Yeah, I only play my organ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I. Uh, but but yeah. I'll say this. Like music yeah. Yeah. has always been. In the foreground in my life, not right. the background, right? right. It's, it's, I play it loud. I play, you know, like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's dominant. When I drive, my wife hates it. <laughs> she wants to talk or, and I play it loud. Right. My kids are suffering through it. Right, right. Like loud music. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it's just always been in the foreground. So when you think back of, of all the concerts uh, that you've been to, like what one stands out? You're like, that was the best show. Oh, man. I, I wish you could some, go I've back. I've seen some really good shows. Yeah. Uh, or just one that comes to mind. I was talking to this the other day. I, I can remember the two that probably damaged my ears the most. Yeah. I saw Motorhead. Uh, I saw the Plasmatics open for Motorhead at this <laughs> little club called the Bayou right. in Georgetown. Okay. And, uh, or right outside of Georgetown. Motorhead, they brought their stadium stacks. So it was so loud. They had a smoke machine that you couldn't even see the band. You just see these <laughs> whooshes. And uh, and. It, it, it was the first that was the that when wendy williams also went metal so like the plasmatics were playing metal too like they weren't the punk rock plasmatics they were now the metal plasmatics but uh motorhead was so sick but it's just so loud my ears just rang at school for the next you know like a week and then on uh, the next loudest show was another small club show this is in st louis when i was in college is when danzig first came out and he played a small club again with full yeah. Stacks, you know, <laughs> and so awesome, but my ears were fucked. But, uh, you know, a funny show I saw in 83. Right. 84, maybe 84. I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers open for general public. Remember general public? Holy shit. Yeah. They were like the English, the, <laughs> yes, the, the, yes. the worst version of the English beat, like the, this, all the softies and that, nothing oh, horrible, you know, and, but and Red Hot's open. Red Hot's open for them. This one, they were at their rawest, right? Like they just, dicks out like the whole what a, what thing. A gift and uh i fell in love with them i'm like oh my god these guys are just so awesomely yeah. they were um, super special and yeah. still are yeah so wow that's fantastic that's yeah so i think the <laughs> as i'm thinking about the concerts you know it's like oh, what concerts have i been to and i've been to a lot of different ones but like the one that jumped to mind was was um when david lee roth went solo right yeah. on the it was the the mountain climbing yeah, album, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever it was. Cliffhanger, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. Is that what it's called? I don't know. No. Um, 
Big Sky? No, not Big Sky. Uh, something. You know what I'm talking about. He's hanging off the fucking... But the answer's in our pocket. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And we happen to get front row seats, right? Yeah. Roth comes over. I was dating this, you know, I'll say it, fucking smoking hot, you know, Greek, half Greek, half Polish chick. And uh, Roth comes over, drops down, starts, you know, singing at her, whatever. Jumps up, dances away. Two seconds later, Rhodey comes over, slaps a backstage pass on her. <laughs> oh my God. Is that right? I swear to God. That's so awesome. I swear to God. I was like, okay, make him wear a condom. <laughs> <laughs> I so wanted to say my girlfriend fucked David Lee Roth. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Just make him wear a condom. Of course, you know, she went backstage and he was nowhere to be found. I think he like took off, uh, you know, but anyway. Man, so how are you holding up? You got a big fucking week this week. Man. I have a crazy week this week. Yeah, my movie launches on Friday, so this is huge. The man. whirlwind. We had the premiere the other night. Yeah, how'd that how'd that go? Well, the parts of it I remember were great. <laughs> right. You know, for a fifty-two-year-old man, I think I'm a little old to be blacking out at my own premiere, but eh, it happened. Debatable. And then uh, yesterday, I was crippled. I, I had to skip work. I'm... <laughs> we just don't bounce back. Like we, we do used not to. bounce back, man. It sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Because mentally, I'm still right. You know, well, because you want you 18, know. 16. Yeah. I don't yeah. know where yeah. I stopped growing. Somewhere in there. Goddamn. Where was the premiere? Uh, the premiere was at the Cinerama Dome. Yeah, oh yeah. And then the after party, they they rented out the whiskey, and they we just had the whole oh, whiskey. Oh, dude, of course, of course, it was at the whiskey. So right. it, was, it was fun. And did they play? They did not play. Uh, we had an all girl Motley Crue cover band. Oh, that's fun. Play four songs, and they they ripped it up. Okay, cool. So. Cool. Was there ever discussion of them playing or was it just like they have a pack that they're sticking to to not play live any like basically what's interesting is I've been attached to this movie for so goddamn long. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've been right. attached to this movie since like it, I first went after it in 2010 and got attached beginning of 2011. That's a long time. So I kind of like during that time Motley Crue sort of broke up, I guess you'd yeah. say. They uh somewhere in I don't remember before well, they did their last shows ever in 2015, but before that, they made a contract. They had a big press release, and this is when I'm attached to it, and that they're never going to play live again, or at least they have to all agree. They they have an out clause, I think, but um, but they were pretty done, you know. Like especially they did this huge last tour. Uh, in fact, they hired me to. They they were doing a concert film of the last show, and they wanted me to do the interviews, all the behind the scenes oh, stuff. Cool. So yeah. I went and hung out with all them and did the, the just the following the band behind the scenes. I didn't do any of the concert footage after that show, that very last show, I think they were all pretty damn sick of each other. Yeah. And they all went like, basically they had four different dressing rooms, didn't really interact much. And after the show, they, they each kind of had their own little parties and left without anything. Interesting. Yeah. And then when we started, when, when the, when Netflix came in and actually made this all happen, so they all, they, no one talked to each other. They, they hadn't talked to each other since New Year's Eve, 2015. When Netflix finally made this happen, we were in New Orleans and Nikki and Tommy came out together to check out the set. This was right before we started shooting. So they got to see a lot of the costumes, a lot of the props, a lot of the set design. When they were there together, they were sort of walking down memory lane. A lot of this was really sort of inspiring to them in a way. Like mm -hmm, I guess it, mm -hmm. it, it, it regenerated their... Sure creative like they they just kind of realized what are we doing like and so they 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 sort of re-engaged with each other yeah and then as we were finishing the movie 
uh, I get a text from Nikki. He's like, hey, man, we're recording. I got a song. I want to. I'm like, what? <laughs> so they, it, it's sort of the movie sort of brought them back together, Fantastic. at least in the studio. Yeah. So it's it's been interesting. I think it, I think the movie in a lot of ways was sort of cathartic for them to. Well, look, look. I mean, you know, I, I got to first say I admire your courage for fucking taking this project on, man. I mean, it kind of feels like a <laughs> dangerous project to take on. You know, it's funny. Like I've I've been very sort of patient. Like I, I never intended to be a director. To be honest, like it just happened. Well, you know, as you know, it's interesting that you say that because as I've gotten to know you and done some research or whatever, like it feels like your life and your career has just kind of evolved. It's been very organic. I don't yeah. know if you feel that way, but oh, as an outsider looking in, it just feels like, yeah, you're just growing and evolving. It's been very organic for you, your journey. Yeah. It's, it's funny because it's always circles back, right? Like, so I started off, I was a BMX kid and yep. a skateboard kid yep. in 1989, right when I graduated, Spike Jones was out here and I went to high school with Spike. He was at the time a photographer for our favorite BMX magazine called Freestyle oh, Magazine. Yeah. And they needed an art director. And I, I went to school studying art. So, and I kind of knew I wanted to be there because I'd visited him a few times. Right. And so I geared my portfolio up to be a magazine oriented yep. layout artist, you know, a graphic designer. And so it just timed out perfectly. They needed an art director right as I graduated. So in 89, I moved out to LA Perfect. and yeah. was laying out <laughs> my favorite. Magazine, yeah, 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 like, uh, and so that's it just pretty felt fucking cool. Really yeah. perfect. Yeah. I, I was, I felt I was on the top of the world. Like this, life's never going to get better than this. Uh, and then the magazine unfortunately folded two years later, and I did a year of freelance. And then the opportunity for Big Brother came up, which was Steve Rocco started a skateboard magazine. He was a very irreverent sort of skateboard mogul. Like he was the biggest thing in skateboarding, but he was fuck you to everybody. And Trans World magazine refused to both Transworld and Thrasher refused to print one of his ads. It had like a skater trying a really hard trick and then he's holding a gun to his head. And they refused to they refused to print that ad. And so he was like, all right, fuck you, I'm gonna start my own magazine. Right. That's kinda how he was. Like yeah. like he didn't like the price of t shirts, so he st he started a basic cut and sew sweatshop and his and they start they were sewing their own t shirts. And they were terrible. <laughs> they were these, these like Huge! This is an era of oversized shit, and yeah, uh, yeah. the shirts were so bad. But he hates middlemen, you know. He yeah. just does it himself, right. and and so he started his own skateboard magazine. But he also like this is early on in desktop publishing, right? We right. we had the most advanced Macintoshes, and uh, but he wanted to. We output our own film. I did all of the service bureau stuff too. Sure, like yeah. we did everything except yeah. print. Yeah, and that was a lot of fucking work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all sort of, you know, it was the most cutting it. We had our own little desktop drum scanner. Right. That's which, huge. Oh my God. That was so expensive. Yeah. It was so expensive. But also like they had a bunch of skate untrained <laughs> skateboarders <laughs> right. using it. And it, so it looks shitty, right? Like, like, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. at least when you sent it out, they did a professional job. We're, we're, but it also gave we're not a, cleaning the goddamn thing. We're yeah, not doing right. it right. Yeah. So the magazine, yeah. the, you had a very a very branded patina. Yeah, and, and this magazine we did was very irreverent, and a lot of printers wouldn't print it. They, they would, you know, we 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 had all kinds of shit in there, and so your money wasn't green enough. We ended up deep in the valley at some porn print shop. Like Excellent. That. They Excellent. had no problem printing. Right. It. Right. They had a problem with getting everything in registration, and like. Um, 
we I mean, we were the smallest type. I could never read it even with my glasses today because we had such small type and it was always like knocked out of four colors. So if it was off red, you could, you know, it's like half pink and half blue. <laughs> Fantastic, man. So, Have you guys ever thought about doing um, kind of a retrospective dare I say, like gallery show in honor you know, that'd of be fun. Brother. Like, no, that's never come up, but, um, we did DC shoes did a sort of a tribute to big brother. They put out a couple shoes mm -hmm. and they put out, a, we, we put together a book for them. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of this commemorative and that was three, four, four years ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the, we did a Hulu documentary right. about big yeah. brother. Yeah. 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 Which came out uh, last year. Did you produce that? I produced it. Yeah. I, I, I kind of just wanted not to be involved, but right. we sort of had to to get the story right. So. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it's funny. I'm laughing a little bit because our careers uh, have a little bit of similarity in that I got started as a graphic designer in publishing, but on the book side. And the publisher that I was working for was a small press publisher that specialized in outdoor recreational titles. So rock climbing, rafting, mountain biking, you know, that kind of thing. And when I started in 1988, you know, I'm marking up the manuscripts, sending it to the typesetter, yeah, yeah. got the wax machine, you know, all that shit. And then like, I got sick of it. I was like, we need a fucking Mac, you know? Same time. Exactly. Yeah. Like my magazine, I did basically, yeah. Paper layout. Like right. I would send the type out, yep. get it back, paste it up, yep. mayline. Yeah. And I convinced them to get us a Macintosh. This is not the Rocco days where we got the most fancy stuff. Right. I had to get a black and white monitor. Sure. But did you have a laser it. printer? <laughs> uh, we, we did have a la black and white laser printer, but you know, I still had to kind of guess what it's going to look like right. when it's in color. Right. But, right. But taught myself Mac. I'm mean, not that it's anything impressive to teach yourself Mac, but I. Well, God, that was the beauty of it. It totally and, democratized creativity in yeah, so many ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Times are so different now, right? right? Like, I wouldn't call that magazine so much do it yourself, but but Big Brother was a total DIY. It, right. Luckily, we had a we had a guy that was flipping the bill for our fancy computer equipment, but basically, it was you know four guys making a magazine, and it looked like a real magazine, <laughs> you know. And you can do that now with film i mean we're recording a, a radio show this was never right. possible right. like it's crazy yeah yeah and it's awesome i mean it's it's it, for creatives is a really good time to be alive right now it's exactly what i said the other day at our conference on saturday i you know opened the conference with some comments and i said arguably this is the best time in history to be an artist yeah like to more be mediums more materials more tools more opportunities an insatiable demand yep. for content yeah you know it's it's a uh, these are the you got to enjoy it while it's so okay <laughs> so so this is a supposed to be an art show i mean you know you're an artist i mean fundamentally at your core you are an artist uh i think i remember reading or hearing somewhere that you used to paint do you still paint i haven't painted in a while Why? like uh, I, I i can give you an excuse but it's it's really i would say just laziness or yeah. like you know like i have a creative job Right. Like, so right. I, I kind of satisfy my creative urges. I totally get time. that. I totally get and that. So, well, how old were you when you became a dad? I was old. I was 42. I was 41. Yeah. Okay. So 42. No, no, I was, I was 40. I don't even know. Nine years ago. Early so I, 40s. Yeah. I'm 52. So not 41. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, cause I don't know about you, but I know that cut into my fucking oh, yeah. style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in, 
you know, it's fun though. Like every year I should do this more often, but I really, um, every year I make the kids paint a picture for, uh, my wife and, and they have to paint my style. Like I, I, I really guide them. I, you know what I figured like, they don't have to use my style for life, but I will give, that's one tool. I know I, I can pass that down yeah. and I appreciated in, in all the art schools that, you know, I appreciated the teachers that taught me their style. Like I went to, I had a lot of professors in, in college that were just like, Oh, just do, do your own thing. And, and that's cool and all, but you need tools in your toolbox. Right. And I had a art, I had a drawing teacher that, he was so specific. He the best grade, like to get a B in his class, you had to be the best student. You know, <laughs> to get a B. To get a B. Like, but you had to do it exactly his way. Interesting. Yeah. He was such an interesting guy. And I'm so thankful for that because I learned so much more from that than I did from a much more loosey goosey sort of. And my high school teacher. It's back to that notion of like, you have to know the rules before, before you can break them kind of thing. Yeah. You know, my high school teacher who thought like, like he was. He would be the greatest painting professor. He he still he is. He lives. His name's Walt Bartman. He's who how I got into college. I was a C student, mm -hmm. but I had a, a really a, a good painting portfolio. I got into art school through my painting portfolio. So you you put that portfolio together in high school mm -hmm. to get into college. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. So how old were you when you started painting? I painted my whole life. My, my grandfather and I used to paint. I oh, was, so was he? Your grandfather was an artist. Yeah, I, I nice. don't know. I call him an artist, yeah. but he was a he liked to do creative stuff and like we did a lot of, so I, I don't know. I was always into art. Yeah. What, who do you, who, who do you collect? What do you, what do you like when it comes to I art? I mean, you know, like but for me, it's mostly, I wouldn't say I have a certain style that I collect. Uh, the the mostly skateboard artists, people that, have, that I know. I, I like having art from people that I have some sort of connection with. So like Thomas Campbell, Ed Templeton, right, a lot right, of those right. guys that I, I know them, so it's it's much more special to me. Yeah, I forget what year it was, but back in the day when we had the gallery, we did a, a show with some of the guys from Dogtown. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was a great show. I wasn't a skate kid, but I was a BMXer. What great days. Yeah. Yeah, I switched. I pretty much switched over my senior year in high school. I, I, I went from... My friend had a half pipe in his backyard. I had a quarter pipe in my backyard, and I just started skateboarding more and BMXing less. I think because... It didn't hurt as bad when you fell. Like riding ramps, man. Like the bike just comes to eat you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you get tangled up so bad at it. Like so, skateboarding just seemed more relaxing to me. So when uh, Finch uh, rides his bike, uh, does he wear a helmet? I haven't shoved that down their throats much. You know, like uh, my daughter's probably the more likely one to do something more stunty than he is. But yeah, I do the whole helmet thing and. It's yeah, it, it's an ongoing sort of debate, you know, uh, here at this house because you know, it's an old story. It's like, are you kidding me? When I was a kid, we didn't fucking wear a helmet, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, you crashed and you learned, you know, I said, it's a slippery slope. What, what's next? We put, well, we need to, we we're put, they're going to bed, put a helmet on them, they might fall out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, my, my sort of lifestyle sort of slowly trickles into my parenting. I, I've been pretty traditional as far as parenting goes, but, um, just this weekend, we were swimming in the pool, and I have about a, I don't know, four foot high waterfall. Yeah, nice. And I threw out a five dollar offer to my daughter and son if they would stand with their toes on the edge of the waterfall and just fall like a tree. And my daughter just 
flat as a board, face plant, like belly flop, like didn't even break the surface of the water, just smacked so hard. <laughs> Total pro. Total pro. Cost me five bucks, but it was so <laughs> worth it. Would she have done it for less? That's the question. I offered a buck first and that didn't go over. So. Okay. All right, well, good. So she's a good negotiator and she's a total pro. <laughs> yeah. My sister was out there jacking in the price up a little bit too. So. <laughs> do you have many siblings? I do. I have a lot. Well, my brother passed away, but I have a brother and a sister. So right, are you guys pretty close? Yeah. We're, we're all close. Yeah. yeah. Tremaine. What is Tremaine? Is that uh, French? It's a, it's Irish? a French yeah, name. Yeah. But my blood is mostly Norwegian. My grandparent, my mom was a first generation American. My grandparents were both Norwegian immigrants. Even on my dad's side, there's quite a bit of Norwegian in there. So I, I, I identify Norwegian. Have you anything. spent much time in Norway? I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. But no, not really. I've yeah. uh, no. <laughs> I've been there once. I've been to Oslo. Yeah, my buddy was um, playing piano in Oslo. That's cool. For a while. My and favorite band of all time is from Norway, though. Oh, oh which Turbo one? Negro. <laughs> Never heard of them, they, but I feel like did, I need to know. Well, they did the theme song for Wild Boys. Um, oh, shit, yeah. yeah. We used all their music all the time on Wild Boys right. and Jackass. Um, and they're just, they're awesome. You just have to check them out. So why did you want to do Dirt? I mean, why did you want to do that project? I wanted to do the Dirt, not because I'm a Motley Crue super fan. I like Motley Crue just fine. Yeah. And, uh, but I wanted to do the dirt. I was we read that, but we passed that book around on, when we were making the first Jackass movie. Okay, it was it was like holy shit, these guys are crazy. But then as time went on, I realized man, that this is where our lives are so parallel. I'm sitting here watching this happen. You know, like what what fame and and the the Jackass guys are all encouraged to be naughty, right? They're, yeah, they're encouraged yeah, yeah, yeah. to be bad. That's the business model. <laughs> That's the business model. And, and you know, same with Molly crew, right? Yeah. Like they, I think they had to, they, they had pressure on themselves to always yeah. live up to it or whatever. You know, I think it's your, your threshold and your acceptance of what's tolerant. You know, like it, it moves, you know, that, that line moves. It's like drug addiction. And, right. and well, you have to keep out doing yourself. And you don't, it's not even intentional. It just happens. Like, yeah, right. Oh, I'm not going to do that. And then, Two years later, you, you have to do so much more than yeah. so much more right, than that. Right, and, right, right, right. And, and there's a cost to living like that too. And uh, so by the time 2010 came around, when that script became available, or I shouldn't say the script, but the the opportunity to make the dirt, that's when I uh, I had lived through the Jackass story. We like we had just finished Jackass three. You know, we had got like we we dealt with addiction, we dealt with death, we dealt with every sort of craziness. Not just the fun stuff, but the fun stuff is way up there, but also the real life shit and the dark shit. And I connected to that book on its honesty and the the create they, they each have their own distinct voices, much like the Jack. I just really personally felt connected to it. I thought I could tell it right. Like I I I thought that this is something I can do. Uh and, and so and I also wanted to, like, for my first scripted thing, like, after the first Jackass movie, I was getting scripts. Oh, People sure. were trying to yeah. figure out what would this guy What's do. What's next? Yeah. yeah uh, and they were terrible. Like, most of what I was getting wasn't, right. <laughs> wasn't right for me. It was uh, an Oscar award winning no, material. It was the worst comedies that were passed up by everybody else and that would land to me, you know. So, I get, an, I get an email from my agent in 2010. He's like, Are you a Motley Crue fan? And I'm like, Oh, fuck, the dirt's back around and so i put together i i put i used my graphic design skills yeah. and made a lookbook and it looked awesome i mean you know like 
you know, I was an art director. For I want to see it. Will you share it? To yeah, me? I, 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 I okay. should have brought it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was uh, a pretty impressive yeah. lookbook. Yeah. And I grabbed a lot of movie images, Molly Crew images, just in photographers that I thought had the sensibility. I didn't want this thing to look like Playboy. I wanted it to look like Terry Richardson. You yeah, know, like, right, right, right. Yeah, put together this lookbook and also cut together a sizzle reel with a lot of uh, movie clips of movies I thought were of the like mind and the right tone. And our, our sizzle reel even had the arc of the story I wanted to tell. And I went in so hard on it. Like I've never, I don't go after anything really. My career this. in general falls into my lap. Well, I, I, the early days, no, but, but this, this is the first thing I went after yeah. since Jackass, I would say. Yeah, I weighed a full-on pitch. I had to sell the producers on it. They loved it. But then I had to go convince uh, each of the band members that I'm the right guy to tell their story to. And so, and how many other directors were they talking to? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah. a few. Some big, some right. pretty solid names. Well, so. kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. So, but I mean, but how right, But that's 2010, that? right? right? So, yeah. so like... So in 2011, I get attached to this thing thinking, all right, this, this is it. It's going to happen in a year or no, <laughs> no it didn't. like, like to the point where we had a deal with focus pictures and then everyone left there right as we were on the one yard line and I did bad grandpa, like in the, you know, and that's when other real scripts started coming in after bad grandpa. Cause that's more of a, a, a narrative. And so, but I was committed. I'm like, no, I still have this, and I really want this to be my first scripted feature because it's not a comedy. Yeah, it's not something you would typecast me into, but it is something that would appeal, I think, to people who like my shit. Yep. Right? Like yep. so, I just thought this is the perfect thing, and I'm going to wait it out and whatever. I'll do my other TV work and everything else that comes over, but for my first scripted feature, I was just connected. I wasn't going to do anything else. Until that happened. What was the budget? The budget was, uh, I don't know where we ended. It was under 20. Yeah. Pretty, I don't know, somewhere between 16 and 18. So, you know, one of the things, it looks, man, it looks a lot higher than that. It I'll looks fucking great. It's, so, it's not tooting my horn. Yeah, that's no, no, tooting. no, no. I wanted to, well, so I, I, I got a chance mm -hmm. to watch it. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, good, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. So I, uh, yesterday, in fact, I watched it twice. First of all, I just want to say that, I mean, you did something, what struck me about the project is that you did something that I thought was pretty remarkable in that you basically figured out a way to put 10 pounds in a five pound bag. Huh. And what I mean by that is the way you approached the, this story that spans what, three decades, two yeah, decades well, we, anyway. We, that, we, I limited it to really the first say 15 years right. of the band's life. But the just you told there was so much of the story that because the movie's what an hour 48 or something. Right. I, I just I don't know. I just felt like you figured out a way to concentrate so much of their story. And I didn't read the book, but oh, OK. OK. I'm so, yeah. So I didn't read the book, but I'm just saying like it just I felt like I got a lot more than an hour 48 out of it. That's great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. They have a lot of drama and crazy stories. In <laughs> it was hard to choose which ones add up to the well, whole. Well, you know, so, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> By the way, it was a stroke of genius to set the tone and start the movie with the squirt scene. <laughs> okay. I, I, it, that resonated with me. I'm That's, just saying. It's so funny because that was always like... This the, the original script that we started with. I, I 
came there was already a script from the Paramount when this thing was from 2003 or four. I don't know. Okay. There was a script written. When did the book come out? 2001. Okay. So there was a script. The script was nonlinear. It was just a bunch of really crazy scenes, well-written yeah. scenes, but I didn't think it told a story that anyone, you wouldn't care right. about the characters if you yeah. made that movie, in my opinion. So we, we broke the script apart and put it more in, in a linear but it, the, the movie always opened with that set scene and there was some debate whether, and I was like, no, you have to, this is and this, it, absolutely. any fan of the book, this movie needs to start like this. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, but you know, all the excess aside, all of the bad behavior aside, all that shit, dude, you told a human story. Like it's a very human story. Like what I appreciated about you know, I grew up in the Midwest, right? So you have these fantasies, you know, in the Midwest when you some big band breaks through, whether it's Van Halen or Motley Crue or whatever. It's like, oh my God, you know, these guys are, you know, they're they're perfect. You know, oh no, they're not. You know, they're damaged. They're human beings, right? I mean, they have like real shit that they're dealing with, right? And they just happen to be, but they're packaged and they're marketed and they're promoted. And for a lot of kids out there that you, you know, you sort of revel in the fantasy as I did. And what I loved about your story and of course, coming from the book was humanizing them, telling their backstory and then providing that context for, you know, how and why they became who they became. Thank you. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you, you got to care about these guys to to. But then just the little touches too, like like <laughs> that scene when they're cutting up the coke and they're but but he's using the the business card of the manager. Yeah, yeah. It's just like that's just like a nice touch. Did you, did you even notice? Uh, there's a subtle thing in that scene, like um, one of the props the the is a little vacuum cleaner coke straw. Yes, no, no, I totally noticed that. <laughs> so, yeah. He just <laughs> snorts it up with a little vacuum cleaner. <laughs> He's like, yeah, uh, here, can you clean this up for me? Yeah. It was like the line or whatever. Yeah. He says vacuum it up. Actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Vacuum it up for me. Because right. you couldn't really tell, but right. like for us, that's just a fun little detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was really an awesome experience making the movie. And uh, my thing about doing this movie was, all right, for me to do my first scripted feature, the first thing I'm going to do is, I'm going to surround myself with the best people I can. I want to be the person on this set with the least amount of experience. Like that's, that's how I attacked getting into. So who's, who, who was on your crew? So I, uh, our first hire was the director of photography, Toby Oliver, who had just done get out. Yeah. And, um, and that was big to me. That bit get out looked awesome. Yeah. But what I liked about him doing get out was also that, Get Out was Jordan's Jordan Peele's first yes, right, feature as right. well, and it seemed like, and from interviewing Toby and talking to him, he felt like someone that could look out for me and my shortcomings, what I don't know, he would cover for me, sure. and um, and it, it was absolutely the right call. Plus, what I liked about him was and he's not a rock and roll guy, like he, but he's a guy that loves music, same age as me or right around the same age as me, cared about the eighties. That was another big important thing was that that, that we got this time right, right. and this and the and the scene right because you know it, it would be so easy to fuck this up, yep. right? I knew this going into like hair yep. is one of the most important things. We need to spend a lot of money on hair yep. because if you feel like it's a bunch of actors in wigs and it looks like 
Rock of Ages or some bullshit that it's going to feel like a parody or a satire, you know? And uh, so I, I hired Christine Wada was our costume uh, designer. She, she had worked at CBGB's and and she's just rock and roll and got it. And was just no bullshit. Mel Jones was our production designer. Same thing she did in whiplash and just can make something out of nothing. Showed me, like Whiplash was done on a shoestring budget, but just she showed me how they converted all these. Would just unbelievable, but also '80s kid like knows the '80s, like yeah. wanted to get it right, wanted to not bullshit this. Like it, authenticity was such an important thing to all of us, and it, and it comes across. Cool, I'm by glad the way. because I mean, because you know, I'm 48. I'm a product of the '80s. Mm-hmm. You know, grew up in the '80s. You know, obviously, I think most kids look back on their a lot of kids look back on their adolescence with, you know, fond memories. I know I do in the eighties growing up as shitty as it was for so many other people, but I thought you nailed it. In that yeah. Regard. You know, it's funny because it's a really loud time and a really loud scene in that loud time. Right. Uh, so we always looked at like, all right, what movies got it right? Boogie Nights got that right. right. Like that was a really loud scene, but it never felt like they were just making fun of it. It, it always felt like they they did just they handled it really well like it went big and over the top at times but like they stayed in in a kind of a lane that i thought that's what this movie needs to be it needs to be cinematic but it needs to also feel like shit this isn't making fun of this time this is this is a is an accurate representation yeah, yeah. yeah a reasonable facsimile as they say i guess yeah man no i mean it's um i mean i got nostalgic Cool. Man. I did. I, I mean, did. I got fucking That's how it felt man. making it too. Yeah. Like it really felt like, oh man, this is, we built the rainbow room in the whiskey in, in New Orleans. Yeah. You know, she was like, <laughs> it was well, so fun. Okay. So right. You shot in New Orleans. I wanted to ask you about that because it really did feel like you were shooting on location here in LA. Yeah, but you, you it, it, yeah, like places. But. And what's cool, like a lot of these places still have like the whiskey doesn't look the same. The whiskey right. was black and white back when when and then it was pink and I mean purple and yellow yeah. during Molly Cruz run, right? And then the buildings next to it, you know, like you'd have to still do a bunch of yeah green screen anyway. And then most of their story happens indoor. There's not a right, ton right, of right. um. So we we did shoot some. It's hard to do cocaine out outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> you well, kind of you kind of need to be indoors. The winds are real. It's funny too. You look at this band and, and like you, you, I always fantasize like, what are these guys like in day to day, right? Like, yeah. What does Nikki Six look like at the grocery store or at a pool party or you know right, like right. these guys yeah. are you know constantly they're not they're themselves all the time, <laughs> right? Right. So they look crazy when they're not they're, right. Oh, so you yeah. know you know you like I saw this I saw this isn't a great time to probably talk about Michael Jackson, but. When This Is It came out, Michael had done so much crazy plastic surgery and looked looked like a freak, right? Like, just looked crazy. And I was like, why is he doing that to himself? Why does he do that? And then that movie, This Is It, came out. And you see him on the stage, and he looks so kick-ass. And you're like, that's... He's just made for the stage. He's yeah, right. made to perform. He's not made to walk down the aisle of the grocery store. He's a freak. Right, right. He's <laughs> until he's his natural environment his thing. is the stage. That's what they're yeah. Right. Like and uh I thought that was so interesting. I was captivated watching it. And it made sense to me why he Well, but but right. And so part of what you're getting at, I think, in my own words, is like this idea that some people are 
they're born characters. I mean, that phrase of like, they're right out of central casting. I mean, they're authentic characters, yeah. right? I mean, they're not, they're not contriving this shit. This is who they are. I mean, those guys were born to be fucking rock stars. Yeah. And Michael Jackson literally was raised to be Michael Jackson. I, and how do you feel normal when you're not right. on stage being <laughs> worshipped? Yeah, but it's, it's so funny to me to picture, especially back then when it, they were just so psycho. Uh, <laughs> you know, just a picture of them having to do day-to-day things that normal people have to do. By the yeah. way, that's a funny-ass fucking skit or something for SNL or whatever, right? right. You know, like Nikki Six goes to the grocery store or whatever. I once remember right. hearing- Like Lady Gaga, picture her just having to do- Right, right. Daily average up, thing. Yeah, dry cleaning or whatever, you know. She's picking up one of her crazy-ass dresses from the from the dry cleaner, right. you know. The salami's wrong. Um yeah, man. I don't know. Well, I remember hearing a story years ago. Uh, our old boy from Aerosmith. Jesus. Uh, Steve Tyler? Steve Tyler. He, called, <laughs> he couldn't get into his hotel room or something and because he didn't know how to work the key. And he like calls his manager. He's like, I don't know how to get in my room. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, when everything's done for you, I wish you know. I don't have that problem. Right. <laughs> you know, I I go to the grocery store a lot. Do you do your own shopping? You know, I'll I'll go. Uh, my wife tends to do more of that than I do. But, but how'd yeah. you guys meet? She actually worked for me on the first Jackass movie. You dirty dog. Yeah. So but we didn't do it. We were strictly very professional. Professional then. Uh, and over time, she wore me out. <laughs> she gives hunting you down. No, we just got along really well. That's cool. That's cool. So do you, do, I mean, are you like buds now with the guys? With which guys? With I'm sorry, with the Molly crew. They, I'll tell you what, man, I was so nervous. That was, that's one thing I was nervous about was that I knew I, I was, I shouldn't say nervous. I was anticipating them being really difficult. Yeah. Throughout the process of telling their story. Like I would have been, if you're telling my story, I would have been up your ass. Absolutely. If you're the director, but they... From the minute I met Nikki, I had to go pitch. I took my little book and my little sizzle reel, made him watch it, and made my pitch. And I was I was nervous with Nikki because you know, and if you read that book, he comes off as like, "Holy shit, this guy's gonna be hard to win over." And he saw something in me. I think that he sees himself like a underdog. Yeah. This isn't the obvious choice, but this guy actually cares and is gonna get it right. right. I didn't have a secret agenda to you know. And so he he was actually super easy in that meeting uh, and was psyched. Like, like this is it, man. He's the right guy. <laughs> my next meeting was with Tommy, who I totally overlooked. I'm like, no, Tommy's my boy. Like, he's one of the jackass guys. I, I get Tommy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tommy grilled me, man. He was like, how the fuck do you think? You're the jackass dude. Like, this is not a comedy. What do you think? Like, blah, blah, blah. Wow. how are you going to do this? He was a bad cop. He bad cop the shit out of me. Like, and I'm like. Which was great. I'm like, holy yeah. shit, man. Like, I had to justify my choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I get in my car right after that meeting. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I get this text from him. He's like, fuck yeah, dude. This is going to be sick. And I'm like, <laughs> that's exactly who I thought you were. Like, why right. weren't you in that meeting? Right, like, right. Come on. Uh, and then they left me alone, like, to make the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I met with all of them. I had to get, you know, fill in some scenes, get, you know. They were all pretty available to me if I wanted their help and needed their help. But they also gave me the space and freedom to That's do. That's huge, they, man. they never said you can't say that. You can't right, do this. Right, Like, the stories that are in there are my choices and the producer. We, we The stories that we thought 
mattered. And, and, and so that's what we decided. They never came in. And I, I mean, I, I guess it's not going to drop because now the movies I've been waiting for the other shooter. I've been waiting for the difficult right. guys to show up because I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me that they aren't, but they've been so cool to me the whole yeah. fucking time. I get these nice texts. Like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> they've mellowed. They're awesome. Like they've been so <laughs> supportive and good. Like, I have nothing bad to say about it. So I wonder if the author, you know, or the co-writer of the book has the same uh, experience. Because I mean, writing the book must have been a bit of a heavy lift. Neil was very involved. We brought Neil in also to help us with some of the VO. The book is so specific. If you read this book. I'm going to read it now. It has such, he did such a good job of capturing their voices. And each guy, what's interesting about the book is they oftentimes contradict each other mm-hmm. on their stories. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating, right? Because their memories just don't yep. quite line up. Or And I really wanted to get that. The, I wanted the movie to feel a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is an unreliable narration. Right. <laughs> Gives well, me by the way, work. though, by the way, I, I, not to interrupt, but I do appreciate the shout out to the truth. Because there were a couple of mo- mo- scenes or that one scene earlier, you're like, this didn't actually happen. Yeah. You know, boy looks at uh, Mickey looks, I think to the, to the no, camera. It's, it's Mick. Yeah. Mick, I'm sorry. Mick looks to the, to the camera and says, this didn't actually happen. Yeah. But like this, so the shout out to the truth, I thought was great. Yeah. Well, we yeah. made this big rock star, like yeah. m- entrance for the manager, but really it was much more yeah. blase. Um, yeah. When you're making a movie like this, you have to consolidate, especially when you're making a movie for any kind of budget and trying to tell a 90 minute story that isn't just a collection of a bunch of scenes, which, yeah. you know, when you're telling a true story, you could easily end up with, you have to consolidate certain locations and right. people uh, to make it work. And so, well, and that gets back to, to my comment. This- that gets back to my comment earlier about putting 10 pounds on a five pound bag. I mean, the way you consolidated things, the way you organized things, the way you edited, the way you, I mean, I just, again, I just thought I got a whole lot more of the story uh, than an hour 48 should have given me. That's you know? great. But, I appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, so, so you kind of had a dream client in some ways in, in, in the crew, like they were as hands-on as you wanted them or needed them, but they were also as hands-off as one might hope or dream. And then, of, but of course you were funded by Netflix yeah. and Netflix famously has a hands-off approach. Abs- and they are absolutely true to that reputation. Like, so it was just me and the producers. They're the only, the only one telling me no was a producer every now and then. And that was based on budgetary or, you know, but I had a really good relationship with the the two main producers on it. Was it a tough sell with uh, with Netflix? I mean, going in and pitching them. I mean, did they were they attached to the project? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it was a tough sell. They they liked the script and yeah. and they were. So I mean, were you shopping? Yeah, the hardest around thing about yeah. Netflix to get it to finally go was they cared a lot about the casting, which was great, I, and sure. I cared about it too, sure. obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so getting the cast right is is where they cared the most. That made it take an extra while. And you know what I, you know, in all candor, the, the what I'm realizing now is the fact that the casting didn't come to mind for me is a testament to how good the fucking casting was. Yeah, like I think it was important to us to not have real recognizable yeah. faces, at least the main four guys, right? Hundred like, percent. I, I, it goes back to kind of not wanting to feel the wigs. Yep. Say Matt Damon was one of the guys you'd feel that wig on him, right? Like because you know that dude. I don't know why Matt Damon came to mind, but. <laughs> Um, you got a thing for him, apparently. Yeah, so if we wanted to find some unknown, not unknown necessarily, but like just guys you not 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 household names. Yeah. but there were familiar to to the extent that there were familiar faces, and there were a couple. 
they were in the right places. Cool, yeah. Right, like the the the, the guy that plays a manager who's on Billions, who I fucking love. That right. guy cracks me up. David Costa yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, I know that guy, but he was it was like the perfect. Like we felt like our casting agent, like like our casting director Barbara Fiorentino and our local guy in New Orleans. They found they they gave me such good options. We found like we found this little kid, you know. I've never seen a little kid. Like I couldn't even, there's a hospital scene with uh, Vince's daughter. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I could barely sit in the room and direct that scene. Just, I guess, cause I have a kid and I've gone through some, yeah. the cancer shit that uh, I could barely sit there and direct. This kid was such a good actor that I, it made it too real. I, I wanted that scene to be over. So right. fast. Yeah, no. And, I, uh, yeah. She was amazing. And so was the little boy. And the little played, boy. Yeah. yeah. Little kid in South Carolina, some n- unknown kid that, 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 so yeah, casting, it was sort of fun. Like I always wanted a guy from the music world. I wanted either, you know, some sort of rock star. And when Machine Gun Kelly turned in that tape, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. This is exactly <laughs> what the movie needs. And and he did not let that, you know, like having that guy who's who's really living it be on the set every day and sort of he had the right influence over the other guys and then the other guys had their influence on him acting wise and everything else. It was perfect. So it, they, the guys really did become them, you know, right. we had enough time in new Orleans to, it was, it was nice that we shot also in new Orleans, in my opinion, because we didn't know anyone there. So we only knew like, we've got sure. to form that bond, yeah. that gang sort of. How many weeks or months of shooting? Two months of shooting and, that's pretty tight. Four, four months feels- of prep, like a lot, lot, lot yeah. more prep yeah. than shooting time. And uh, luckily, I got the band out there. I got the not the real band, but my actor band mm-hmm. uh, in enough time to put them through a rigorous band camp, <laughs> right? Uh, and just long enough that we all, like I said, lived on top of each other and went out every night. Yeah, you know, we just stayed together nonstop and, and made it a real connection, real bond, you know. And I think it shows in the movie. Well, I know that, you know, your appearance today on the Not Real Art podcast is the most significant of your press uh, promotional uh, stops. I've been saving, saving um, it all for this one. What, uh, what other stops are you making along this uh, junket? K-Rock tomorrow. That's fun. <laughs> and they, they were going to schedule it right after the premiere. I was supposed to be the next day. And I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> Good thing they didn't, right? Oh, man. Although you might still have been drunk and, you know, hilarious. I would not have been able to do it. Like, yeah, I could not get out of bed yesterday. I was so <laughs> fucked. So when you party like that, are you mixing alcohol? Oh, or are you yeah. just I'm, yeah, I'm, you I'm just... doing anything anyone hands me. Like, <laughs> not not drugs. I don't do drugs, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like any alcohol anyone right. hands. Like on a night like that, I was Which, every kind of shot. Right, right. So my wife and I. So we commuted from L.A. to Chicago for two and a half years. Uh-huh. Right when we met, <clears throat> and so when I turned thirty. She, much to her credit, planned a total surprise birthday party for May from L.A., right, on my 30th birthday. Long story short, you know, I just got wrecked, wrecked. (laughs) And she had booked this fancy suite and we had this whole grand romantic plan. And, of course, I was just blotto. I mean, there was just no way I was getting up, let alone, you know, whatever. (laughs) And, and she, she cut, she's like, God, she's like, just because somebody hands you a shot doesn't mean you have to do it. I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. I can never do that little throw it over the shoulder fake. Like, man, no, man, it's an insult. You know, Chicago, if somebody gives you a fucking shot, you do the fucking shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? So whatever. it's funny. I, one time I was, I was with Wee Man in Chicago and we were just sit, sitting at our hotel bar. What hotel? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a you know nice, nice hotel. And we're at this 
fancy bar and I looked behind the bar, typically all the bottles, yeah. but there was one bottle up higher that had its own light. They had its own light source <laughs> and uh, this really fancy crystal bottle. I'm like, just calling you. What the fuck is that? And I, I talked to the bartender. What is that? He's like, oh, that's, that's Louis 14th. Yeah, bar. right. I'm like, oh, well, how much does that cost? He's like, oh, it's, it's $300 a shot. I'm like, 300. Must be the founding youth. <laughs> and like, and I was like, Wee Man. Because like, Wee Man gets pounded worse than any of the other guys. Like, oh, I the love it. Yeah. Like, he gets, because you see him a mile away, like, right. that's a jackass suit, right? So, yeah. and everybody always wants to come up and buy shots right, and right, do whatever. Right, right. You know, like, it's a nice thing. Yeah. All right, next motherfucker that comes up and wants to buy you shots, you point to that bottle and you say, you got to buy one for my friend too. And don't talk about the price and let him pour the shot. <laughs> oh my God. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, people in Chicago will fucking do that. Yeah. They will, you know, they, they want to buy that. shots. Get and- stunned. You got to be careful about buying your celebrity friend shots. <laughs> Some of those celebrities might be dicks. That's hilarious. So. Yeah. They, we, <laughs> this is a horrible story, but actually, the evening of that 30th party, 30th birthday party that Channing threw for me, we were out. Because that party was a Saturday night. And so my boys took me out on Friday night. And we were in the Gold Coast. And God knows, I think it was probably two or three in the morning. Bars stay open until five, right? And yeah, it's just, it's hardcore. We don't fuck around. And um, and so we roll up on this fucking movie production. This is a horrible story to tell, but but we were like, what the fuck? So we pull we happen to like pull it right up where the um craft services, you know, was located. So we're, we're fucking hungry, you know? So we like roll out and we're like getting food, whatever. And, and we're totally hammered. And, um, we're like, what movie is this? You know? Oh, it's Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. We hate that fucking guy. We start taking, they had like these little donuts, like the round donuts. And we just start fucking winging. Like he's like in a scene, you know what I mean? Like they're filming and we just start winging fucking donut balls at him. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking shit. Cut, cut. We like run. Like, oh my god, it was, it was, it was well, awesome. You can't shoot yeah. around drunks. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, you know, I was on a roll around movie sets. Like, I want to get a walkie. They all use that same Motorola. Like, yeah, yeah, right. I want to just kind of scan channels and <laughs> find productions and start yelling weird because I know what to say now. That- right, right, right. Hack the yeah. We prank calls. All right, cut. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded very official as well. That's right. With authority. Yeah. yeah. All right. Send the actors out now. I need the actors now. <laughs> Keep it going. I want to hear more. I, <laughs> I haven't done that yet. I'm going to do it. You soon. need to like do um, release an app with those uh, yeah. <laughs> with those sound bites on it. I still don't know what to say. I don't know when to say. Oh cut. My God. Do you feel like? I mean, do you ever pinch yourself and be like, like, how am I here? You know, it's funny. Like, yeah, I. I I have to pitch myself a lot for doing commercials and I, I hate it. I'm not good at selling myself. Mm. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, just like a true artist. I don't care enough, I guess, to do yeah. it well. <laughs> uh, so I just, yeah, I'm no, I'm no good at that. Like it was so out of my comfort zone to do for the dirt, which is something I really wanted. I really went out of my way to sell myself on that. Mm-hmm. I spent everything on that. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to, I, I just can't do it. I hate it. So what's next for you, man? I've got, I'm producing a movie with Eric Andre that should come out in the fall, which has been like, it's, it's crazy because that one also 
took a long time. Not like the dirt, but Eric and I met. Eric's awesome, by the way. Six years so ago. So fucking funny. About this idea, and it has taken this long. And of course, then they happen at the exact same fucking time. Of I mean, like, it's a, it's a, yeah. I, I don't mean to complain about things because that's not something you can no, complain about. Embarrassment of riches, but yeah. But, man, why couldn't they just like happen? Just, yeah. No. It's two months apart. They're no. right on top of each other. We've been shooting them at works, the exact same Jeff. time, yeah. editing them at the exact same time. I, I went straight from finishing the dirt. I checked out for the dirt. Luckily, I'm not directing the Eric movie, so they didn't need me there on every second. But in post, I like to be there and, and you know, and I've done that kind of movie before. So, what do you think your greatest strength is? As a movie maker, I, I think as post, a content, I think producer. I'm stronger in post yeah. than anywhere else. I Interesting, think figuring out in the edit bay and uh, well, that I mean that makes sense. It's so funny because you know, like the, someone the explained dirt. it to me, and I never thought about it until no. I just really done it. You, a scripted movie in particular, you make it three times. You make it on paper, and you have your actors, and you actually shoot it, and you're making it then, and then you're making it in post, and it's three different movies. You know, like so. Did you ever imagine growing up back outside DC that you'd be doing this? No, not at all. It's wild. It's been such a gradual progression from going from magazines to TV. And with the magazine stuff, we started putting out videos on with big brother. We started putting videos out and I was very, it just felt like a natural, it didn't feel that different. Right. Like right. It's putting something together from scratch. Yeah. And, and so it was an easy transition to go from big brother to Jack. I shouldn't say easy. But it just felt natural. Yeah. And, more uh, organic. Yeah, more organic. It was funny because even in 2002, when we were, I was trying to figure out what what is the, we were doing the Jackass movie. And that's right when we were doing that movie with MTV Films. And MTV Films had just optioned The Dirt in 2002. Wow. Okay. And so I threw my hat in there. I talked to David Gale, the president of MTV Films. And I said, hey, man, I'll, I'll direct that if you want, if you need a director. Just joking. Like, I knew I didn't have it. I'm not. Right being considered for it and i had no idea how to make fucking jackass into a movie much less but over time even though you know jackass is its own thing it it is crafting little stories and uh and then bad grandpa and everything else all the tv shows. i've done a few docs um it's all kind of the same thing so it wasn't i wasn't as underwater as i thought i would have been mm -hmm. that i was prepared to be i thought i thought doing the dirt I was going to be buried and not know what to do. And I was buried, but it's still running a set. And that's the same. Uh, well, and, and you also had the um, wisdom. Right. And I hired the right fucking people. Right. I was surrounded by yep. people that I could totally trust. Whereas my biggest responsibility was get these actors to, to get the performance that I need. And, uh, and that made my life so much easier. Like, just well, so actually what I'm hearing is that, you know, you're kind of an exotic animal in Hollywood in that you, you are pretty much a well-adjusted human being. You, your ego is pretty well in check. I think a lot of, <laughs> a lot of folks in Hollywood may not have had the wisdom and, 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 and the self-awareness to, you know, build that team. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't call myself <laughs> mature by any means, but yeah, you see, I mean, you know, like, you know, that's what's uh, the fucking point? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, hundred percent, you know, and it's like the thing that I've said, it's like my pet peeve is self-importance mm -hmm. because basically unless you're fighting fires or saving lives, Absolutely. Yeah, who the fuck right? are you? <laughs> exactly. That's basically how I feel about it. Yeah. We are lucky uh, sons of bitches because we get to fucking be creative and make art and do, you know, 
And, and it's important. Art is important. It feeds the soul. It entertains. It's a valuable thing. But in the, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Right. Like, when I was doing Big Brother, I moved up like well, Larry Flint bought the magazine. And, and uh, so we moved. I was in the South Bay and then we moved to Mid Wilshire. And then I met Knoxville and he lived up Beachwood. Uh, Knoxville was writing for us, writing for Big Brother. And then uh, he, he he told me, oh, this little house is becoming available up on my street. If you, you should rent it and it's cool. And I, so I rented that house. And uh, and then that was right before Jackass started. And so every day I would drive up Beachwood and see the Hollywood sign. And when we got the movie, when we, we, got, when we signed the movie deal, I was just giggling every day, driving up to the Hollywood signs, you know, both middle fingers up, just like, Fuck it. <laughs> you know, like, just waving the fucking flag and just right. driving up to the Hollywood sign every day. I just thought it was so funny. Like life I, is, we pulled one over. Yeah. You life know? is fucking bizarre. You know, but I think, I don't know um, how I know this or where I heard this or whatever, but I, I think I, I caught you talking one point about how when you were pitching Jackass, the movie, you had pitched it around town and it just fell flat in the room. Like, like that was no the TV one got show. it. The TV show. Not oh, the, the TV. Okay. Yeah, no. The t- there, there was no pitch in the movie. Right. Okay. Um, the show. The show. Okay. We, we first pitched it to HBO. It was the funniest fucking pitch because, <laughs> because both Knoxville and I had no experience. But Spike barely had any experience like selling a TV show. He, he wasn't Spike at this point. Well, right? he was. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. he okay. was. We got every meeting because Spike was on our got team, okay. right? Like yeah. Spike was was a, an in demand. He, got he, it. He, he was. He's terrible at selling himself, just like we like are real artists. Um, yeah. And so we go into this. I put together. I cut together like a twelve minute little call it a sizzle tape mm-hmm. um, of all the crazy stuff Knoxville had done it up to that point, which was the self-defense test you know where he (laughs) (laughs) and uh cut together a lot of bam cky footage on there and some steve-o shit and so i had this great little 12 minute crazy sizzle reel yeah i mean i had like steve-o shitting in a lake like it's just a bunch of crazy stuff on it and uh, we're showing it to these two buttoned up ladies that the first pitch is with two executives at hbo they were both women and my agent introduces us and then he's like first we'd like to show you this little tape so we put on the tape and I thought the tape was hilarious. I'm I'm cracking up. Knoxville's cracking up. But these two ladies are just not even smiling. Nice. <laughs> and then we decide, all right, we're going to let Spike do all the talking. He's the one they want to hear from. Right. We'll just kick back. And Spike is just like, um, so, uh, like to the point where my agent had to jump in and just try to save the day, but it was totally clammed I'm up. I'm sure he was just like, fuck this. Like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> But then we had a meeting at MTV and right away it was right. a totally different energy. Like they got it and right. wanted it clearly. Well, they knew their audience, right? They knew their audience. Well, the rest is sort of history. But that, Yeah. But I mean, that's such a testament, right? I mean, again, you know, at the conference over the weekend, <clears throat> Jorge Gutierrez, who did Book of Life and now he's doing, he's got an overhead deal at Netflix and he was telling his story about getting the Book of Life made. Guillermo del Toro you know, produced it, right? Guillermo. They're both Mexican, right? Born and raised in Mexico City. And Jorge tells a story about him chasing uh, Guillermo. And Guillermo 
just was fucking putting them off, putting on, giving them hell, you know, secretly he wanted the project and he was going to do the project, but like he made Jorge work for it. Oh, that's awesome. And the story is hilarious. And the moral of the story though, which kind of gets to what you're saying is like the reality of, of so much of this in life is like, Never, ever, 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 ever give up. No. Everyone's going to put roadblocks in front of you. And I've learned so many people stop at a roadblock. You know, they just stop. Yep. Like, wait, why are you stopping there? Just go the fuck around it and fucking dig under it. Fucking find a way around it. Yeah. Like, we would get told we can't do this on Jackass all the time, like legal or standard. Someone would tell us no. And they give you a blanket. No, they want you to take the kill the whole thing. And right. we would never let that happen. Like right. it was always like, what is it that about this? We'd always get boiled right down to, yeah. and I'm talking ridiculous shit. Like, Oh, you can't eat the ingredients of a, an omelet and throw it up into a pan and cook it and eat it. You know? <laughs> Who says? <laughs> and I'm like, well, what's the fucking problem? Like, 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 all right, listen, it has to be cooked at whatever degree. Right. <laughs> we right. get down to like, <laughs> Like we got told no, a blanket no on, on, I'm going to give you just stupid examples, but on Jackass 3, we have this phantom camera shot, like super, super slow motion shot of Chris Pontius swinging his dick and hitting a ping pong ball. Like he's wearing a baseball hat and and it looked awesome. Right. Like it's just right. super slow motion. You see his dick hit the ping pong ball, ping pong Were ball Were you flies. using a phantom camera for yeah, that? Yeah, I was using a phantom. Nice, and, uh, nice. and it was 3D, a 3D phantom, most expensive camera probably ever made. So it's two phantoms shooting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so funny, you know? And so we cut together this, and it's just dick in your face, yeah. like super slow motion. And PA is like, no, you can't. That scene's not going to make it. I'm like, well, why not? Like, Male genitalia. Just, yeah, but you can do it. Right. Like, you, right. like, I've seen plenty of movies that have full frontal male nudity. This yeah. isn't a, a sex scene. This isn't right. any erect right. penis. It's not. Right, right. And there's, I don't know, we just don't feel right about how it's just too long. So I sped it up a little. So it, it was not the slow, like it was at first like a minute and a half of just, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, you really were suffering through it. And so they kept kicking it back. I kept, I sped it up to the point where it wasn't funny anymore. It wasn't right, funny right, if right. it wasn't super yeah, slow. slow. It had to be slow. So yeah. our solution ended up being like, I, I think it came down to, all right, you can have 10 seconds in this shot. <laughs> Of penis. Yeah. And uh, so we put a black bar over it. And then and then when he swings, the black bar doesn't keep up. And so <laughs> the penis comes out from the black bar, hits the ball, and then the black bar slowly catches back up right at that 10-second mark. Right. And that was – okay. Like, and I think we just wore him out. We're yeah, just like, yeah, well, yeah, we're yeah, not yeah, taking yeah. no. Right. And, right. <laughs> and we're willing to just be ridiculous. Yes, you know, yes, so. yes. But you have to. You can't let anyone stop you. If you've got an idea, there's no excuses either. You know what I mean? Like, right. If you're if you're creative, if you're hungry, you're gonna you're gonna figure make your out. shit. You'll figure it out, dude. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. No, it's um. You know, I think we have in our culture. Well, we're an instant gratification culture, aren't we? Yeah. And I think the kind of unintended, maybe unintended consequence of you know our drive-through push button you know, free delivery culture is that it somehow instills this idea of unrealistic expectations about what it really takes in life to be successful, you know, and the media celebrates, you know, the overnight success when the overnight success has been busting his or her ass for fucking years. But I mean, you know, it's like 
what I love about that story is that as artists, you were like, there's a creative solution here. Yeah. Like you find out what, like a lot of times you're getting, it's the easiest thing to say is no. It's almost like also the easiest thing to, it's easier to be negative than it is to be positive. 100%. Right? Like it, it, you can sit back and just shit on things all day long and it's easy. Yep. It takes, you got to be brave almost to be positive yep. and yep. to be optimistic. Yep. And, you know, because pessimism and it's pessimism's contagious, you know, like the negative energy is 100%. Totally but so is contagious. optimism. So but, is uh, joy. But optimism is absolutely like I'd always like I try to make sure when we're running set, I don't want any of that fucking neg- like right. like I'll come in and I'm a big, bright, shining power ball of optimism. Yeah, and man. I but it, you have to work twice as hard to well to, the, to have a if you have a strong pessimist around yeah. like. Well, and so so much of business, right? Whether it's in Hollywood or other some other industry, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, most of these companies, their business models require that they protect the status quo. I mean, they are not, you know, in, in, they are not in business of of taking risks, right. right? So it's they're they're people being paid to say no. It's funny because I've been on, I've done some commercials with big advertisers getting out of their comfort zones and, right. and watching them panic. And I don't get, <laughs> right. I don't get caught up in it. That's not my, right. pa- like whatever. Right. Like yeah. it's, yeah. you know, I don't do commercials with the same, I'm, when I do a commercial, I'm trying to make sure that I'm delivering what they want. Right. You know, on brand, I, I, on brief, I'll, I'll, on I'll budget. put my yeah. brand on it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't have the same ego attached to it as if it's my own <clears throat> yeah, right. work. I try to make sure they're happy and they want it. But when they spin out and they're <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, again, like, I'm, I'm going to deliver. It's going to be yeah, good. You know, right. like I know it's going to be good and we're just going to get it right. But it's so funny. I watched them just we get the high stress world of and, and to funny to, to sort of be able to not get sucked into it. Like right. I don't have enough in the game to get sucked into that. Well, it's, it's, I mean, that's a paid gig, right? I mean, you're doing, you know, the brand's work or you're, you know, steward of or shepherd of the brand in that context. That's a different animal, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to, you, you right, know, but your it's high baby. stress. It's yeah, high, it stress, high stress for, for sure. For sure. For them, it's yeah, high yeah, stress. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's um, right. Like I try to calm everyone down and just, again, be optimistic. I'm like, this is all going to work out. And I, I'll go in there and calmly let them know, like, we're going to, we're going to get it. Tell me your concerns here. That got it, got it. Boom, we'll go. We go dress. What are some of the commercials you've done? I did a huge one. My first big one was um, this Bud Light spot. It was a Super Bowl commercial. It was with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Don Cheadle. Like it was a hidden camera thing Mm -hmm. where we took this unknown suspecting guy and just took him through a crazy night um, where he ended up playing ping pong with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And (laughs) um, and it was crazy, like so hard on a production level, so hard. Uh, It was so funny because. It was, are you up for whatever? It was the campaign. I remember that campaign. And it was, yeah. um, we were the first one. It was this big spot. Yeah, they ended up breaking, like editing it into all different, they, yeah. they, they did this whole thing, but it was so funny. Like they were casting it up until the last minute. They're casting it. And like, they'd had like Minka Kelly, all these mm-hmm. big names. <laughs> we were flying by the seat of our pants on. It was so fun, like so hard, uh, but but really exciting and, and Bud Light just yeah sacked up and went for it yeah because it was real like right. this guy did not know anything <laughs> and they were putting a lot of money into this hoping it works out yeah. you know, and yeah. trusting me that it will yeah so wow what other crazy. brands have you worked with I've done a ton now I, I do you know I, I just finished a Southwest I did a Klondike bar I've done a Burger King would you, would you say would you say commercials pay the bills 
No, I'd say Jackass pays the bills. Yeah. But no, I have a lot of irons and a lot of fires. Like, yeah. Uh, but commercials, yeah. I mean, they, I, I like doing them. You have you like know, a you know, safe- funny thing. Yeah. I, I did. The, I directed the safety video for American Airlines. No shit. <laughs> Can you imagine, dude? Like, hiring. Fun fact: You heard it here first. People are not really hiring <laughs> the director of Jackass to to direct your safety video. That <laughs> irony is not lost on me. I thought it was so funny. That's uh, amazing. So, and it's 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 the most seen thing I've ever done, probably. Right? Like it's on. It's in front of every flight. Right. Oh my god. Right. Like no one's seen anything it, well, I've done more than that. <laughs> It's the most mass market yeah. uh, that you've produced. What, what year was that? Is it playing right now? Yeah, it's playing right now. It was only a few years ago. Right. Well, you know, so, okay. That spot. So I was on a, a American flight, uh, you know, many times in the last several years. But what I noticed was that, well, A, I didn't know that you did that video. <clears throat> if it's the same one, I think it's the same one. Yeah, it's the only one they do. <clears throat> but it's, but Virgin gets props, right? <clears throat> For being the kind of the first mm-hmm. airline to to innovate yeah the safety they deserve video the props for that for sure you know? yeah and, and and you know it's like yeah why can't you fucking apply some creativity to yeah. this fucking video that nobody fucking watches and, anyway and i'm really proud of it i think we did a really something cool it's not like virgin it's no, not it it's not it's loud not. It's, it's great quiet, it's very but it's, yeah but it's creative and, and yeah uh, yep. who i mean but, right so i mean the the Ruth Goldfarb, uh, Goldberg, yeah, yeah, Goldberg aspect to it. I mean, who did you work with on that? Because I mean, well, that was Meg, that brilliant. Like, like, yeah, Ethan Tobman was the production designer on it, and he had done um, a couple of OK Go videos okay. that have that whole yeah, yeah, cool yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So right. um, we all just sat around, and came up with a bunch of ideas, uh, and he he knew a lot of little tricks. Right. The sound team. It, it started off as an idea just about. Uh, acquiring the sounds from an airport mm-hmm. so the idea was more of a musical thing mm-hmm. than it was a visual thing it was mm-hmm. all about making a just recording all of the aspects of of airplane travel mm-hmm. right and uh but so we incorporated that those sounds into the soundtrack but then made it really visually interesting and they were on board with our pitch so but it's but it's not it's not comical really. Yeah. 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 No, it's not, but it's, cl- it's class, it's creative, but it's mm-hmm. classy and yeah. engaging. It was really which fun. Is what it you was, want. It was a, that was a hard job, but it was, it was really fun. So how many commercials you do a year on average? You think? Well, I didn't do hardly any last year because right. of these yeah. stupid movies. I do probably four or five a year since I started doing them since that Bud Light thing. And that was 2013. So it hasn't been that long that I've been doing commercials. I'm starting to understand why you don't paint anymore. <laughs> it's it's honestly I I do have time I just well so how do you unwind because I mean like I, I okay so look we're lucky people right because we love what we do I also work from home sometimes it's hard to shut it off I mean you know I want to spend time with the kids I want to be a good dad I think I'm I mean I'm not as good as some I'm better than probably most but you know like the point is is that um, I love what I do. It's hard to shut it off sometimes. I know my fitness has taken a dive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, so, I mean, what do you do to like unwind and, and, and how do you approach parenting? Like, I mean, I, life's I crazy, man. follow my wife's lead on parenting. There you go. No, it's funny. Like, like yeah, I, I, I love, I love being a dad. I think yeah. it's, that's one the, the thing I love most. Did you always want to be a dad? Like, did you, like, when you were younger, did you say, oh, I'm going to get married? I was in and- denial that I wanted, but probably always wanted. I just was sort of in denial about it. Um, I didn't do it till later. Yeah. Like, you think like, the same thing. No, I got married at 35. Right. I got married at, 
I think I got married at 41 and had my kid at 43 now. Okay. Think about so you it. jumped so, in, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It feels pretty natural. I don't I don't, yeah. I don't read books about my, my wife is yeah. probably more on top of things yeah. than I am about parenting. But, but would you would you say that the the kids sort of fuel your creative juices as well? I mean Well, it's it's fun to do projects with them and to inspire them yeah. and get them to yeah. to tap dig deeper into their right. creative minds, you know. I I enjoyed shepherding that. And that that's fulfilling in the same way that painting. Like, but when I paint with them and teach, then I really get back on. I'm like, why am I not doing this? For? Like, this is what I should just quit everything and just paint right, right now. Like, right. Uh, but I don't do it. I don't have a good. <laughs> I really don't have a, a, a real excuse. You know, it's like, what do I do to unwind? I, I watch car shows on the Motor Trend channel. I'm not a car guy. I'm not. I don't care about cars. Yeah, yeah. I love watching a transformation of any kind right like i love watching a and and for some reason i think i like car guys and motorcycle guys that do it so much it's interesting to me that these guys don't come off as artists but they really are 100 you know and um i think that's just fascinating to watch to see this rusty old thing and like i can't tell you how i i wouldn't know how to change my own oil to watch them take a rusty old car and turn it into this kick-ass beautiful piece of art and they care so much about every right. nut and bolt on that damn thing. 100%. Well, I watch that knife show where they make forged in fire. Okay. I can watch that for days. I can watch the treehouse show, the right. fish tank right, show. Right, 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 shows, right, right, right. Yeah. That's what I do. I just, right. I, I watch shitty, cheap, <laughs> basic cable programs, you know? like <laughs> Yeah, but but they're, but they're all sort of, you know, creative process shows, right? Yeah. It's like. My wife hates it. Like, she's like, why don't we, like, there's so much. High quality stuff out here, and I just watch this. <laughs> what does she like to watch? Well, she says that, yeah, and she watches HGTV. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Well, so my wife used to work at ABC, and now she's at Netflix. And it's funny because when she used to work at ABC, you know, I fucking never watch. I mean, like, you know, like I'm fucking what fucking network television. What the fuck? You know, I'm, I'm over here at Netflix. Like, I'm, you got to check out this Netflix shit. This is the bomb. You know, she's like, I don't have time for Netflix. You know, I got all the, so like now she's at Netflix. I'm like, oh, this Hulu thing is amazing. You got to, you got Hulu. Is a weird <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, you got to see these shows ABC's putting out. They're killing yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Like, God damn. Yeah, exactly. They figured comedy out. I don't know. Everybody's different. I, you know, uh, in my thirties, my 20s, I didn't give a shit about my fitness. I was just doing shit. You know, a lot of, I'm a big outdoors guy. So a lot of camping, a lot of canoeing, you know, a lot of extreme shit because I was up in the Arctic. I was like doing, you know, whatever. In my 30s, I got into endurance sports. So I was doing like a lot of triathlons, a lot of marathons, stuff like that, right? In, but in my 40s, I became a dad. And I got serious about being an entrepreneur, right? And so my fitness just went right out the fucking window. And then you layer in the fact that, you know, I just didn't become a dad. We adopted both our kids. We also happened to, you know, move and remodel a house. And, you know, so the point is, is that like, like life got full. It's just, it just in some, you can't do it all. This bullshit about, oh, you can have it all. No, you can't have it all. It's something you have to sacrifice something. And so anyway, my fitness was like the one thing that totally fell off. But it was interesting because I was like beating myself up all the time. It's like, fuck, man, I'm just a fucking lazy, like I'm out of shape. I'm fucking dying. Every day I'm dying. You know, I'm just sitting here dying. But really what it is, it's like, because you know, rationally, like, you know, you know, rationally I should be painting. Yeah. 
but yet you don't. You're like, well, I don't really know why, but, and everyone's different, but I, I just for myself, like, cause I'm not, I'm, I'm a pragmatist at the end of the day, but I'm also very much a feeler. Like I kind of go by intuition or whatever. And it's like, as soon as I get the sense of like, okay, there's an opening, like, like, okay. And so for years, last several years, I felt like, you know, my fitness was, it was a luxury I couldn't afford because I had the kids, I had the company, I had this and that. And, um, now though things are settling, kids are getting older, the company is getting a little more established and it's like, okay, now things are kind of opening up a little bit. I can kind of start investing in myself again. I yeah. mean, this podcast was an investment in myself. The, the only, the only way I work out, like I pay a trainer yeah. to come over to my house. Yeah. Kick your ass. I know how to do it every routine we we don't it's just that i pay him makes me do it you're right the accountability <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah just like put it on yeah. the schedule mm-hmm. pay like right feel like like that that's what the only thing that works for me is i'm not in good shape but i at least do that just to what so were you a sports kid growing up i mean well i was but i was like a like i was on my bike yeah all the fucking time BMX i wasn't yeah. i wasn't my you know my i come from a family of athletes my dad was like point guard for uh, Naval Academy. And, right. Uh, my brother was uh, went to school on a tennis scholarship. My sister was a gymnast. My dad wanted me to, you know, I had to try everything. When I was, I had to play baseball and football and so, you know, whatever uh, basketball, but I didn't connect to any of that. Uh, it wasn't until I found riding my bike and yeah. watching Evil Knievel and imitating that. Fucking shit. Evil Knievel, dude. Um, <clears throat> fun, fun that, fact. Fun fact. So in my closet, I own a evil Knievel costume that I keep on hand, right? Because, you know, sometimes you, there's a costume party yeah. that you're some shit that you got to wear. Got evil Knievel. That's my guy. That's Cut, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like mine so, too, man. Well, yeah. you, I produced a evil I, documentary. You produced that. Mm-hmm. I saw that. It's fucking great. And uh, we got involved in that just because, look, I know evil was probably the biggest dick that ever lived. Yeah, right? Right. He's, he's Yeah, he was a motherfucker. Motherfucker, but no one inspired me more growing up and no one did it gnarlier he was an original and better than he did like he was the original like I'm, i wanted to make sure that at the end of that documentary that we like at least no one waved the fucking flag higher and brighter right <laughs> you know, right, like, right right like he would like just inspiring um did you have <laughs> well you probably didn't uh, you probably had a much cooler bike but i actually had I forget what year it was 1977 maybe i had the evil knievel uh huffy edition oh shit no i don't have that <laughs> but i had this little my first bike that i remember i was probably second grade first grade i was in san we were living in san francisco so it was first or second grade i had this little it was like a little it was pre-bmx bmx yeah. wasn't around right then, but it was like a little mini motorbike it had like you know, it had knobby tires and it, had, it looked like a, like a dirt bike. It looked bike. like a little dirt bike, yeah, but it was, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and these kids had set up, it was right after an evil Knievel jump. I don't know which one, but like one of those, you know, these, though on ABC sports, they would always show those fucking jumps. I remember and right after that kids would get on their bikes and go try to fucking jump curbs. And shit. I was one of them. Somebody put a big piece of plywood up against a roadblock. So it was a ramp Yeah, and pretty high, you know, like, a for me on my little bike, you know, it was, Three feet, three feet, three and a half feet high. Yeah. This board going up. And I was I'm like, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to fucking do it. And I rode up and I got scared right at the end and kind of hooked it to the right and just plowed right into the curb and like ate shit. But I got back up. I'm like, it didn't hurt that bad. Fuck it. You know? Like, <laughs> right, right. And I was, I was hooked ever since. Like, yeah. yeah. So, and then BMX kind of kicked in, like in the, I'd say 77, 78. Right. I started getting really into BMX. For for those of us growing up where we where I grew up, you know, our bikes were freedom. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, you I, know, like I would ride, I probably rode, I don't know how many miles, but we would ride to every, I knew where every, what's fun about like having a skateboarder bike as your mode of transportation too, is you, you know, every little curb cut and the smooth pavements over here. Like when I skated in college, when I would go, I would use it as transportation a lot. Yeah. And I knew, oh, there's a fun little curb. that has got a metal pipe on it over here. And you just right. know, you're so aware of everything. Yep. And um, you go out of your way to find these certain things, you know, the line um, and same with, I used to ride my bike nonstop. We, we knew where every dirt jump was in the whole city. Yep. You know, I'd ride down to Rockville BMX. I'd ride to the record store. We were just living on our bikes. It, it, it's, it's no helmets. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So I remember one year, maybe 1982 or something. And, you know, I come from a reasonably small town and like the largest uh, intersection was Central Avenue and Willow Creek Road. And is this in Gary? It, no, this is in Portage, Indiana. So I was born in Gary, Indiana. I grew up about 15 miles east in a town called Portage, uh -huh. right on the coast of Lake Michigan, right? So we were all working class, you know, like all of our dads were, and, you know, a few of our dads took the South Shore train in Chicago because, you know, they had some white collar job. Um, but most of our dads were uh, working class guys that worked in the steel mills in Gary, right? And so... A latchkey kid, you know, whatever. And so our bikes were everything, right? And, you know, we were always just getting into bullshit. But one day, I don't know why, we were just like, oh, you know, like, let's cut across. So so this major intersection, right? So it was probably four lanes, you know, on either boulevard. So we'll wait for the light to turn green and we'll shoot across diagonally and see if, you know, we can make it across without getting hit. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, so we do this for, you know, a while until like, you know, we think things are getting too hot and whatever. And we take a, so I show up home, you know, a couple hours later and our neighbor Peggy had, was like working, uh, was uh, running errands or whatever and saw us like doing this. Of course she calls my mom and rats me out, you know, no, no. But I mean the, the, the adventures, right. The, the trails, the shortcuts, the jumps, the, uh, I mean, we'd be gone for hours. Yeah. Gone for hours, you know? Miles and I just miles. Knew your, you know your neighborhood so much better than 100%. And the bike shop, right? Yeah. The bike shop becomes yeah, like the hub. Rockville BMX was so important to my development and having that little community, you know. I mean, you would go Portage Cyclery. That's how I met Spike. I met Spike Jones because he, he got a job at Rockville BMX when he was like 13 or something. Wow. And so, and I was 15, I think. Yeah, it's uh I had a um Schwinn came out with uh Sch a Schwinn Arrow. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And they uh was you know teardrop kind of tubing, you know, 4130 chromoly. They only made so many, but I, I that was just I'd love to know where that fucking bike is, right? Well, actually it's funny because there was this on Facebook there was this resurgence of like all my old boys, like, cause you know, some of these guys are of course reminiscing and Rome, you know, someone that never left town, you know what I mean? Like I left, you know, decades ago, but some of these guys are still back there and, and they, you know, collect these bikes and they restore these bikes. And uh, I got a call a while back or an e email on Facebook. Somebody would say, Hey man, do you still have that arrow? I'll buy it from you. you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, man, like, like I left when I moved out here, I didn't take my harem and my, my parents moved and they just fucking didn't, even, they just got rid of it. <laughs> yeah it's like what so such a dope bike <laughs> well i had an opportunity to there was a um a schwinn sting right 
that because that was the primary right. you know bike for Schwinn. Some I don't even know how this came up, but somebody had the Schwinn Sting with all of the same parts that I had on my Arrow. The only thing different was the frame, and uh, I bought it. So it's actually at my parent. I bought it like when I was thirty. You know, right, I mean? right. I was like, so it's at my parents' house right now. Uh, Get it out of here, man! You got I know, I know. I want to have you it. Got a you know. coming up. <laughs> I know, right? Totally. Yeah, it's funny. Matt Hoffman just sent my my kids two bikes. So. Oh, that's so awesome! So rad. That's so fucking great. Wow, man. Jeff Tremaine, you are a fucking awesome dude. Thank you. Thanks for coming and hanging out. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, well, you know, before we go, I'd have to say, like, you know, some people remember the first time they heard the Beatles or the first time, you know, they uh, Kennedy got shot or whatever. Uh, I remember exactly uh, where I was the first time I ever saw Jackass. And it was, it was like me and my boys were like, this is genius. <laughs> genius. Genius. Uh, I don't know if I call it that, but it's something. <laughs> it's, it, it's something. Well, hey, it's paying the bills, right? It's paying the bills, man. Right. Unreal. Hey, right. man. Well, great seeing you. Good luck on the tour with yeah, the thanks, you know, press junket to K Rock tomorrow. Yep. How long are you on tomorrow? Do you know? Oh, actually, it's not even tomorrow. It's the next day. It's Friday. So uh, I don't know. All right. I just so go where they tell me. It's a totally random question. Like, I kind of know a little bit about how movies worked in the traditional way in terms of you know you know, producers and directors getting paid like with netflix like what is that business model for you as the a business, for netflix it was interesting so yeah with jackass and all the other you know movies that done that are theatrical you you have a back-end component right. that, that can be zero or right. if it does well you, yeah. you, you but with netflix there is no back-end right? right so they they it was strange because i did have a deal and then had a little component of extra money that came like but it was pre-factored in like yeah, now okay. no matter what happens negotiated if it's front. the biggest hit of all time i've already right right I'm, right my money's done like right, right. I, it's a flat kind of fee which, kind which of. i'm cool with like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever no, it's, it's fine, interesting but, yeah but it, it definitely i didn't think this the dirt would be a a big theatrical movie anyway yeah i, I did in my head it wouldn't but then when bohemian rhapsody came out and just blew the doors off right holy shit, maybe right. this movie should have been theatrical, you know? Like, Start people really guessing. like these biopics. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. Well, it is yeah. what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Well, I tell you what, it's a great, great film. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for being here today, chopping it up. All right, man. And be well. 